0: Welcome back to My Dilettante Life. We're kicking off Season 2 with several episodes that examine some of the fundamental aspects of humanity—growing food, communication, and artistic expression and appreciation. If a particular episode strikes a chord with you, I'd love it if you'd share it with others. Now, on to the episode. When I grow up, I want to be an engineer. When I grow
1: up, I want to be an author. When I grow up, I want to be a fine art thief.
0: When I grow
1: when I grew up, up, I want to be a piece of When I guess I know how to
0: grow up. When I grow I I up, I want to be a piece of I want to do recordings and help. Welcome to My Dilettante Life, where we hear from people who have cool or unusual jobs about their professional lives. I'm podcast host and resident dilettante, Hannah Binder. So, Yes. Welcome to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. And today I am talking with Ashley Wilson about her career in farming. So welcome, Ashley. And if you could start out by well, giving you. us um, just like a little overview of um, yeah your professional life up until this point.
1: Sure. Uh, Hello, I'm Ashley. I am a farmer and the co-owner of Frisky Girl Farm. We started our farm in 2019. And so we're going into our fourth season right now. Uh, Our farm is a five acre mixed vegetable production, and we also grow flowers. So kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. So I got started with farming in 2010. Um, I took a master gardener class uh, and just really latched onto the vegetable growing portion of that class, and was excited to get more experience in that field. So I took some other online classes and things, and ended up in the Pacific Northwest working on a organic vegetable and egg farm, and the eggs. And the animals that were there, it was really great experience, but the veggies are really what kind of like called me. so
0: been trying to stay dirty ever since. <laughs> You're a vegetable whisperer, in other words, there we go.
1: yeah, not a chicken whisperer <laughs>
0: um so was was this something that you dreamed about when you were a kid? I mean, how far back can you think of like farming as something that was even on your radar
1: oh definitely not um so my mom and I had a garden when I was a little kid but it didn't have a fence and so the deer would eat everything and if we're being perfectly honest I didn't really like vegetables when I was growing up they were not you know I was kind of a ravioli in a can kind of kid and I don't know when it changed for me probably sometime circa my early 20s something like that when i actually started eating more vegetables but yeah definitely not a career i saw myself going for when i was growing up
0: so when was the first time that you thought about doing this as a career like when did it first occur to you
1: um you know that's a good question i had a cubicle job when I first graduated from college because that was like something that's expected is that you get a job with health insurance and a 401k. So that was a pretty soul-sucking experience. I know that not all cubicle jobs are created equally, but (laughs) I worked for a company that made plastic cups, you know, solo cups. Um, And so I basically was like peddling garbage is what it felt like from this cubicle and it was terrible um and I started realizing more and more that I just really like being outside and I'm not that into education because that's like the other typical profession that you can do for outside jobs like kids camps or counseling and you know something something involving children and I don't particularly care for them either so needed to find an alternative solution to that which plants plants are great because they stay in one place you put them there and then you come back and they're still there and yeah so um just started volunteering like I said I had taken a master gardener class and that put me in touch with a lot of people who are also really into plants and veggies and stuff like that and I started volunteering at the arboretum in Baltimore and doing some just little stuff like greenhouse work where you know your watering plants or potting up plants anything like that and it was just like oh this is great this is i love this i'm gonna go with that as my future so yeah then moved out to the pacific northwest and there's a lot of plants out here and definitely a lot of opportunities for farming and small farms and things like that so just kind of dove right in and haven't looked back
0: Right. I, I have to admit I'm seeing a similarity maybe between your um your I don't want to say dislike but um chickens and children they both move around a lot <laughs> yeah. and you can't <laughs> control them <laughs> yeah
1: it's just a lot of work I mean I, but not to say that veggies aren't a lot of work but it's more of a time frame that I can wrap my head around like you as a animal farmer it's 24-7 always whereas veggies are seasonal and I really am drawn to that natural life flow of like if the sun is out all the time I have to work all the time if the sun is not out I can kind of rest and recover from a brutal season and that's what works really well for me it's like hibernating in the winter and then you know once the solstice has happened it's like go 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 all the time Plant all the plants and yeah gives you energy to do this daunting job so makes it
0: makes it nice nice so um is there someone that you um I don't know were inspired by or that you want to emulate like is there someone who um kind of brought you into the field, either with a personal relationship or just seeing the example they set? Um, yeah.
1: So I don't have like a specific person in mind, but when I first moved out here, like farming is traditionally a man's job. And so I really like how many women are in charge of the type of like farms that we are. So we're like a small market farm, meaning a diverse amount of crops uh, you know it's not like a monocrop system like big ag is where it's like hundreds of acres of just corn and everything is based on the stock market price for grains or you know it's nothing like that um so there are a significant number of women who are in leadership roles and it, you know it's either them and their husband run the farm but often it'll be just a woman in charge and I thought that was really inspiring because it's not like a traditional thing you think about even though it is kind of the standard in small vegetable farms they are often managed or owned by women and the farm that I had my internship on back in 2010 was run by this woman named Michelle and she was so amazing just like being out in the field with her like she would often give us tasks and then she was maybe in her mid fifties at the time. Um, and we were all in our twenties, like the crew of interns and she would give us tasks and we would go and do the tasks. And then she'd come back and just be like, why did this take you so long? And one day she's out there working with us. And I was shocked at how fast she could move. And I was just like, I want to be you when I grow up. I want to be that 50 year old woman who's just, crushing you at crawling through the dirt and planting the plants and I was really inspired by that and just like the way she was able to still move her body and make these 20 year olds look lazy (laughs) it's pretty cool so I think yeah a big part of why I like farming is the physical aspect of it is like it's hard and challenging but it's it's fun to push your body to those limits just to see what it can do for you and if I can make that something that lasts into my 50s, like really cool, really awesome.
0: Let's see. Oh, Michelle. Yeah, seriously. Michelle. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to My Dilettante Life. Today, I'm interviewing mm. Ashley Wilson about her work in farming. Um, well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I was wondering if it's, um, you know, hard on your body in a sustainable way or an unsustainable way. Because I think a lot of times when I think about um, really physical jobs, I don't think about them being something you can do comfortably or quickly or like well into your 50s and 60s. But it sounds like your experience has shown that it is possible.
1: I guess. Yeah, it's, um, it's always a goal. Uh, so my farm partner and I are almost 10 years apart. We're like eight years in difference. And it's really funny now that we're starting this season. She is now the age that I was when we first met. And it's fun to see her going through it because I feel like I'm like a little bit of a preview for what's coming up in her life. Since we do have the same job, it's like, oh, I can't, you know, oh, oh, I'm getting all crickety and stuff. And now she's starting to feel it. And it's like, oh, yeah, welcome. Welcome to your 30s, Ellen. This is what it's going to be like now. You're going to be tired even more so. And you're going to get injured just, you know, you turned your neck too hard <laughs> or something. <laughs> it doesn't take much to throw it all out of whack. But um we are it it we are a good partnership in that sense because when we started I was like quote the strong one and now that she's the youth, she's still like, she's the strong one now and it's like oh Can you do this? I don't I I I'm don't wanna break my body. Can you do this? <laughs> And I will say, like, learning how to mechanize things has been something that we're working towards. So the first year we had this farm, we did not have a tractor, and it's five acres, and that was a huge mistake. Um, that that first season was just, like, soul-crushing, body-breaking. Like, everything we did was with a walk-behind rototiller, and I would not recommend that zero out of 10 would not recommend that. Um, If it's more than an acre, you should probably just get a tractor or get a friend with a tractor. You know, the tractor is helpful for more than just moving soil. It moves things that are heavy and terrible that you need to farm around the farm. Um, For instance, tarps used to drag these hundred foot tarps around the farm. And now I just like swoop them with the strap and, pull them with the tractor and it's so much better and I don't know how we did it that first year like just I really don't it it was a lot
0: so it sounds like there's um a market for maybe like uh, farmer focused yoga classes or something to keep your right? body nice and limber yeah
1: yeah I think that is the thing like farming for or yoga for farming it's like lots of downward dog and cat cow poses <laughs> like stretch that back <laughs> out because Yeah, the majority of my hardships with farming are, like, moving heavy things around the field. So any way that you can add a motor or even just a wagon to do that is, like, really helpful.
0: So what has surprised you about working in farming?
1: Um, How hard it is to do taxes. Uh, which is like not a thing you think about with farming. Like I got into farming because I really like growing plants, but as a small business owner, there are a lot of hats to wear. And one of them is doing the goddamn taxes and they make it so complicated. And when we were so uh, predating our current farm, Ellen and I were handed an urban farm that we took over and ran for three years. So a lot of the legwork of starting a business was already taken care of in that. And I didn't actually know how hard that process is of like, you need a business license for this and you need a different license to do this. And are you registered with the secretary of state? Oh, cool. Like when do you have to get your annual report together for this? it's just like all the paperwork side of things is so much more this, and it's so daunting because i'm not really good at that but when we split up the roles and responsibilities i'm better at spreadsheets and ellen's better at doing emails so we've kind of divided the tasks as far as the non-farming part of it you know the the, the non-plant growing part of it into front of house back of house so ellen's in charge of like emails and communication and Stuff like that. And then I do the books And it was like, oh, when's the last time you took an accounting class? Was it in high school? And did you quit because it was stupid and it was hard and you didn't like it? Yes. Okay, great. Let's let's go there. <laughs> let's figure this out. And we have a pretty simple business. It's like not involving stocks and shareholders and investors. And like, I know accounting could be way more complicated than the system that we have in place for a cash business, but it's still really hard and I hate doing taxes. And it it was the most heavenly thing when we got a tax person, like a tax preparer, because I was trying to do that. And you really need like a four-year degree to figure out our tax system in the United States very complicated and wow the best money we spend is that four or five hundred bucks a year where i send all the books to the tax person and she's like great thank you thank you so yeah doing taxes that's definitely the hardest part of my job even though i outsource it it's still like a daunting burden because you got to do stuff quarterly and you got to do stuff annually and now i have like my little pop-up calendar it's like remember to do this Remember to do this stupid tax thing Okay, great. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, have there been any like pleasant surprises?
1: With doing taxes or
0: just I in just mean farming? farming in general. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So we're we're really good at our jobs. And I know a lot of times um you can fall into that imposter syndrome category of like Oh, it may look like this on the internet, but like, actually, am I, am I good at this? And I think this is the year. Finally, I've had a couple friends ask me for business advice and it's like, Oh, that's like Yeah. I'm, I'm not just good at plants. I'm, I'm good at running a business too. Cause, cause of all this practice that I've had for the past six years, like, kind of rewarding to be reminded by your close friends, that you yeah, you're actually good at this and you can, you've got this. Yeah. Especially, especially that part that you hate, right? It's like the bookkeeping side of things. Like, oh, I feel like this is my weakness. And it's, oh, nope, you can, can do that too. Okay.
0: Well, and that's definitely been a common thread with um a lot of the folks I've interviewed for the podcast Um, is, yeah, like, Kind of the mundane administrative stuff that you just don't think of when you're picturing these different jobs, but it's yeah. the common thread that ties all the experiences together.
1: Yep, yep. Still got to fill out paperwork, even though I quit the cubicle job to avoid paperwork. Here we are.
0: <laughs> so, um, I want to ask then, what are some of the misconceptions that you find people have about what it's like working in farming? And, and what do you wish people knew about your job?
1: Yeah, um, so I think a lot of times, especially when it's a, like a small vegetable farm, people kind of equate that to like a homestead or something. Um, and so I have friends that'll be like, oh, well, if I just gave you these seeds, and would you plant them? And it's like, actually, no, no, it's not like that. This is a well-oiled machine with a plan. And it's just, not a hobby farm like you're envisioning it so people think about a farm and like oh it's so quaint and beautiful and actually it's not it's it's a grueling time burden that we've set up for ourselves we're like we're planting seeds every single week from March through September there's a schedule it's calculated things follow certain things based on different plant and nutrient requirements and things like that. Um, it just, it's in no way leisure. And I think a lot of people think that growing plants is a leisurely activity where you just like set it and forget it. And it's not like that. It's, uh, so the harvest burden is, is real. Um, We'll start harvesting sometime in the beginning of May, early April or you know, late April if we're lucky, but it just is like a preview of what's to come. So you start with leaves and then come the root crops and then all of a sudden it's summer and you've got your fruiting plants and it's a time tether. So we grow a lot of cucurbits, which are like cucumbers and summer squash and things like that. And in order for them to remain productive throughout the season, we have to pick them every 36 hours. So it's a time tether. Of you got to pick the squash. you got to pick the, the cucumbers. And it really sucks because <laughs> they're really heavy, and I hate them. And they're the most delicious, so I love them. And it's a real struggle to, like, luckily I have a farm partner, and we can share the burden, but, you know, Every weekend when the crew is gone and it's just the two of us, it's like, all right, whose turn isn't the squash? Damn it. <laughs> just go out there. Cause they're they're also itchy. Like you gotta they they have that prickly skin on them and, and you get the squash rash and your whole forearms are itching and it's terrible and people are like, Why do you do this? Well, you know, you gotta eat you you gotta have squash. It's the best. It's the summer staple. So that's, yeah, the squash burden. But then we'll have our first frost and they'll all die and it's fine because they're gone. Gone until next year. And yeah, really having a seasonal break is if I had to do this all day, every day, like you do with the animal farming, it's like not sustainable in my mind. That winter hibernation is really essential for just like forgetting the pain and suffering (laughs) and then you can do it again next year.
0: Got it. (laughs) I like it. I'm learning new terms. Um, I had never thought of um, what you called it, squash rash?
1: Oh, the squash rash. Yeah, it's a real yeah. thing. When you pick the squash, uh, your skin breaks out. And it's not quite high, but it is like an itchy, scratchy thing. And, you know, you can kind of wash it off, but it's still there. It's like the plant is oozing terribleness. And it gets back to your skin. It's almost (laughs) like they don't want to be picked. Exactly. (laughs) I think it is like a natural protection. It's like, oh, don't pick me. I'm sharp. Well, not sharp enough. (laughs) But yeah, you can all think of that. The next time you eat a cucumber or a pickle, someone got a rash so you can enjoy that
0: food. (laughs) The the taste of guilt makes it that much better. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Do you have a burning question for a previously interviewed guest? Do you want an update from a particular interview? Submit your question on the podcast website and it may be featured on an upcoming audience asks segment where we have a quick check-in or follow-up with someone who appeared earlier on the show. So what would you say are the coolest parts of your job? Uh, The seed growing.
1: I love greenhouse season, which being in the greenhouse, And seeing seeds turn into plants is like my favorite thing, especially when it's all full and you just go in that space and it's just it just smells like spring and plants and you're watering. We have this wand that we use to get all the tables, and it just I love greenhouse duty. It's my favorite, and spring is like the most exciting time because all the you know it's you're starting everything right. You're all those plants turn into dollar signs and it's just like kind of a preview for what is to come and you're filling up the field and then by late June the field will be full of food and it's like a really rewarding season even though it is a lot of heavy lifting and punishment but like I like the planting and the growing way more than I like the harvesting so spring is the best
0: It's funny. um, I I will say like, you know, I've had a vegetable garden off and on throughout my life and it is really exciting to see the plants pop up, but not Mm -hmm. doing it professionally and therefore only needing to do a little bit here and there. I love the harvest. That's my favorite part. So it's um, interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good to know.
1: (laughs) It's it's kind of a funny thing because it is like, mm, most of what July through October encompasses is the harvest. And it's like a huge chunk of my time is spent harvesting. So I'm trying to figure out ways that I can come to terms with the fact that I hate this big part of my job. And it went a little better last year. I think I spent more time. So I'm trying to transition from vegetables to flowers because flowers are really fun for me to harvest. They're, still like a new fun thing they haven't become a burden known as squash in my life yet so um, I think that finding ways to kind of step back from a lot of the veggie harvest and whatnot is going to be my sustainability key because the harvest will break your body and the, and your soul <laughs> you hate it so much so finding people to work for us who don't hate it has been a goal it's like oh harvest can be a little monotonous and burdensome like how do you deal with these types of things in a job situation and you know can you take autonomy over a task because each crop is specifically unique in how we harvest it and stuff like that it's just finding people who that brings them joy. Cause yeah, harvest is supposed to be the fun part it's when you get to literally eat the fruits of your labor. And I don't like it.
0: I think it's just so satisfying because there, there are so many jobs where like, I don't know, the outcome of all your hard work is either so hard to see if you can like, if you can see it at all, or if you can, like, it's still, it's like a report on paper and it's not something mm-hmm. that you can literally, like, feel with your hands and taste and, like, turn into delicious dishes. So I think that's what always has been satisfying. But also, I, again, don't need to pick so much squash that I get yeah. rashes on my arms. Yeah. So I see yeah. how that would change the experience a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think the first harvest is exciting. And then it just starts to get old after that because it's like, oh, it's picking this again. Yep, 36 hours later picking this again like whose turn is it oh, someone has to pick it because <laughs> if you don't then you're ruining it so that's yeah or creating an unsaleable product is it's interesting when you view it not so like it's just a financial thing right like looking at the food and then quantifying all of it with dollar figures it really changes your perspective on it because it's 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 not like when you go to your garden and you pick a tomato and you're like oh this yes but your end of day take home is in no way related to whether or not that tomato tastes good it's just like a thing you grow because you like it not because it's your livelihood so I think that when you think about it from that perspective it can really change it all it, it, it kind of makes it a burden but also a necessity because you know if we're not making money off of this we can't continue to do it so it's like looking at them as little dollar signs out there in the field I don't know
0: well that segues really well to my next question then because I want to know um what some of the differences are I mean you've talked about this somewhat already but between doing this as a hobby and as a job
1: yeah um so the weather and climate change and things like that are huge stress points in my life because it is directly impacting how much money we're able to make. For example, we had a killer year last year. It was hot. It was sunny. The well didn't break. Therefore, we were able to water the food. At, you know, like the weather has such a huge Impact on how much money we're able to pump out. And I know that we are adding greenhouses here and there and like doing things to mitigate what the climate allows us to do, like season extension wise. So the greenhouse, we can grow food even if it's not hot outside because it'll be hot in there or later into the season and things like that. But if it's wet and cold all summer, we're just not going to make as much money because. Sunlight makes the plants grow. And so that can be a huge stress factor. Whereas like if you have a home garden, like, oh, well, I didn't have as many tomatoes this year. Oh, well, I at least had some and I'll just be happy for what I do have. Whereas I'm trying to quantify it in monetary terms. It's like sunshine literally equals money. And if it's too much or not enough, You know, there's like a happy little window where it's perfect, and if it could just be like 85 and sunny every single day, predictably, with one inch of rain per week, right? That would be a vegetable's ideal growing condition. So, it it's hard when you can't depend on that. It's like you get what you get, and you just have to kind of roll with it. So, it sounds like um,
0: predictability is really important would you say like being able to um you can't pre- well outside of like meteorologists there's only so much prediction of weather you can do especially yeah. for a whole growing season but like so being able to predict as accurately as possible like what your harvest will be i assume that's pretty important mm-hmm. right it is yeah um that's kind
1: of where we start when we create uh the master plan where we put down in time and space like where each crop will be and so we'll start by trying to figure out like okay how much money do we want to earn this year what can we grow like this is what we made on each crop last year how can we you know these were the popular things how can we grow more of those things or less of that and then how do we fit it into this five acre 472 bed parcel that we've got here and certain things grow well at certain times of year, certain things do not grow well at certain times of year. So just trying to figure out that and break down like, okay, so I need, that means I need 44 successions of baby lettuce mix or salad mix. So how can I fit those and place them? Okay. Well they can't grow before or after certain crops because you need crop rotation to make sure your soil stays healthy and it's just like this little jigsaw puzzle that we lay out at the beginning of the year but it's all stemming from our financial goals of like how much how much money can we earn doing this and it's always like the huge challenge of it because we'll set this intention in January and then it's like, well, what will the weather do this year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So we try to be as calculated as possible when it comes down to making the plan, but typically by July everything goes to shit. And it's like, all right, well, fuck, what do we have time for this week? Let's let's put it there. Okay, great. That's available. Cause we try to predict plant death in the in the plan because it's like, all right, well, this plant will live this long and then it will stop producing and get aphids or you know whatever happens to it and we're going to mow it down and then real life happens and it's like well we can't mow it down it's still doing its thing and it looks great like that happened with the broccoli last year it was, like never died I don't even understand it some of it lasted all year so this year we're going to plan that all of broccoli is going to live all year long and it's certainly going to die and then it's like well alright let's just wing it I feel like it's a happy little balance of like we wrote this plan and we're gonna execute this plan, but then we know that in July the plan is gonna fall apart completely, and then we're just making it up as we go. So, oh, too many there's like too many rules to keep all the gears moving smoothly. It doesn't it doesn't always work out.
0: So flexibility and um, adaptability are are pretty key yeah
1: I think so for sure because like I said there's too many there's like just enough things that you can plan for to make you feel secure and safe and then they will start breaking down because there are so many unknown factors like whether you know a staff member could quit mid-season or like someone could get injured and can't come to work and you know whatever that snafu is it throws the whole ball off its track and you just gotta like figure it out uh yeah because we do have some it's usually weather uh weather is our big terrible we are in a very beautiful spot right under a mountain uh mount Psy, and we pay for that beautiful view with terrible weather the wind it's like hurricane force and it breaks everything that we have. So over the past three years, we've built and fixed basically everything that we've put there. There's like nothing that doesn't break in that wind. And so trying to learn how to be an expert builder is another aspect of farming. That was like very shocking that I needed to become having only built simple backyard greenhouses and things out of PVC. It's like, Oh, well, can you build a big giant metal structure but not just any metal structure like we're gonna throw 50 mile an hour winds at it and it has to not fall down or bend or crumple or things like that so structural engineering definitely a new skill set where I feel like I could just gain so much more knowledge yeah
0: yeah not typically um a class you take alongside accounting when you're in high school
1: Not really. No, no. And just like learning from example, although sadly, all the examples are like a huge financial hit. Every time something breaks, it's like, oh, well, there goes more thousands of dollars in learning experience. (laughs) great.
0: It's uh, probably cheaper than, you know, tuition these days, I guess. I
1: think so. Yeah, I do think so. Mm -hmm.
0: Not that that's like a great uh, benchmark. But so I do (laughs) want to ask you, um, what would you tell your earlier self about what it's meant to to realize this dream? Or I I guess counterpoint is like, what would you tell someone who wants to go into this field now? Like, what advice would you have for them?
1: it's really hard. Just keep going. It's like, a, I think another farmer told me that a couple of years ago we had a hail storm in late May, was it? And it ruined. So it was like, just as we were about to make a bunch of money, the hail came and was like, no, you will not. And it ended up not being actually as devastating as it was in the moment when everything got crushed. Because plants are resilient, like people, you know, they grow back. It sucks, but they grow back. Um, And just realizing that it sucks for everyone sometimes, and you can't be good at all the things. So just be as good as you can with what you have and just keep going. Like, don't let late season golf ball sized hail slow you down. Just keep going. Just grow what you can and pull as much food out of that field as you can and you know that's that's what we have
0: and maybe wear a hard hat if it's raining golf ball size definitely
1: yeah definitely seek shelter if you're in that experience
0: (laughs) so if you weren't uh farming do you have an idea of what you would be doing or i mean if you do something else um let us know what that is
1: yeah, I would be driving heavy machinery. I had no idea how much fun it is to move dirt around. I feel like a little kid in spring when I get to scoop the compost and like use the tractor bucket. And I, we had a tractor when I was growing up, but it didn't have any, you know, I, I was a kid. I, it didn't have the front end loader or anything cool like that. It was just like, A drive around it's a glorified golf cart I guess because it's a tractor but um yeah using machines to move dirt is really fun and I think that I would probably get some kind of excavators license or something like that and like dig holes in the earth because that's the best
0: (laughs) my uh three-year-old neighbor would agree with you on that Oh yeah,
1: mm-hmm. just harness that inner kid where you're in the sandbox pushing sand around. It's like, oh, that's great. I love it. It's, yeah.
0: um Now, my last question for you is: um What do you want to be asked about your life and experience as a farmer?
1: Oh, that's a that's a hard question. There, what do I want to be asked? Um, Right off the top of my head, I'm going to say, ask me more questions about flowers because that's like my favorite thing that we grow are the flowers, which is silly because you can't eat them. Um, At least not in a way that's going to fill you up. Uh, So, yeah, anytime people want to know more about flowers is where I get really excited because I feel like I've been doing veggies for a long time and it's now so commonplace. Like all of the veggie knowledge is regurgitable I guess I don't know if that's a word but it's like you get the same questions every year I'm like oh you know you you plant so many successions of this and so it, it's like oh yeah you don't know that by now about all the ins and outs of veggies what but when we get to talk about flowers and things like that because I'm still pretty new to flowers and i learning more every day I just love to know what people are and what they're like. Oh, what what greenery do you put in your bouquets, and this or that, and things like that. And like looking at flower arrangements, it's like oh, well, is that a centerpiece, or is it more of like a a bouquet for a wedding where it faces this way, or up, or down? Yeah. So anything related to flowers is just that's all I want to talk about and learn about these days.
0: Do you have a favorite flower to grow?
1: Oh, yeah. Sunflowers. They're so easy. It's very satisfying. They barely even need water. They're drought tolerant. Everyone loves them. They sell well. I love sunflowers. You would think it would be something harder, but it's not. That's old faithful. So I love it. Because a lot of flowers are kind of high maintenance, like dahlias. You got to pinch them and trellis them and get the timing right. And nope, sunflowers. Trash crop. Love it. Love it.
0: So, Because I was going to ask you then what's like your problem flower, but it sounds like dahlias might be so far.
1: Dahlias, they're divas. It's it's fine because they are so beautiful and it's rewarding. But yeah, a lot of the flowers, it's like the little things like pinching, for example. Did you know that when a dahlia is six inches in its little bush state to get more blooms, you pinch the top and then it causes it to branch more? Yeah, there's a lot of flowers that are kind of high maintenance like that, that require a lot more attention. And often the flowers get treated kind of like second-class citizens just because they're a very small percentage of what our total business is. So anytime where we can just spend more time with them and make them more beautiful is like really, it feels very rewarding. It's like, oh, they're they're good enough now. We can, we can spend working time because it used to be like, what I would do on my day off was take care of the flowers, and now they're like they're they're real. <laughs> we actually um, make time to pinch the dahlias and stuff like that, and to put up trellising because you can't sell crooked flowers. And it rains, and they fall down, and it's just yeah, always be learning, right?
0: <laughs> I have to admit, it's really um, gratifying to hear you talk about how difficult dahlias are because. I've tried to go them twice now, once when I was living in Seattle and once when I was living in Portland. And both Mm -hmm. times I like failed miserably. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's not just me. They are just difficult flowers.
1: They are difficult flowers. And then if you don't feed them, because that's another thing, like with vegetables, we don't really need to add extra fertilizer or anything like that. Like we do a, a little sprinkle of uh, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium um, at the beginning of the planting season. And then we have very healthy soil. So it's just like set it and forget it. And the flowers, it's like, oh, well, at this time of the year, they need nitrogen to promote better leaf growth and dirty stems and things like that. And then you got to go back when they right before they start flowering. And like, you know, I've talked to people who grow weed, and I think that flowers are basically weed like pot farmers because they're always trying to get their nutrients balanced for what stage the plant is in its growth cycle and it's like oh i could learn a lot from you about how to grow the flowers better i think what (laughs) does it need again when what time of year do you do what that's that's very interesting yes Thank you. That's helpful. What lullabies so remember, do you sing them you know,
0: at night to, to lull them to sleep?
1: <laughs> at what moon cycle do you go and do the, like what phase is the moon in? Stuff like that. But yeah, like just getting better at nutrient applications is kind of a whole new process. Cause yeah, flowers, yeah, flowers are in the ground for the whole season. A lot of them, whereas veggies it's like wham, bam, thank you ma'am. And you pull them out and you're done. So Continual nutrient applications. That's my growth area this year.
0: It's always good to have a goal. Yep. Well, this has been um, so enjoyable getting a little peek into your experience um, for any of my listeners who are in the Pacific Northwest, specifically kind of like the um, Issaquah east side of, you know, the Seattle area, check out Frisky mm-hmm. Girl Farms um, near Mount Si in the shadow of darn Mount Tsai. Um yeah. And yeah, thank you so much for talking with me.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. Let's talk about plants, my favorite
0: thing. When I grow up, I want to be a pioneer. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yulie Anerson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. Thanks to our guests and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you have follow-up questions for a guest, send them in for a chance to be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment. My Dilettante Life is available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as directly at hanabinder.com slash my life. That's hanabinde dot com slash my dash dilettante life. Tschüss!